Welcome to Harvest Beyond Sunday, a podcast that seeks to equip and inform the members of Harvest Church. My name is Jamie Trussell. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor and elder here at Harvest Church and joined this week for our Gospel Journey a podcast here on Beyond Sunday by our executive pastor and I guess we call you the executive elder too, Bill Garner. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Jamie, Janelle. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me today. Uh, Bill, referencing there, our producer extraordinaire, Janelle Cologne, who does good hard work on this each and every week. And that executive uh, elder thing was a joke, Bill. Don't take that to heart. I won't, Jamie. I appreciate your uh, your uh, high opinion of me, but I'm, I'm, I don't deserve any more. Well, Start my, this thing over again, would you? If my opinion were any higher, I'd barely get off the floor. Now, this week eight, <laughs> this week eight, uh, of path 10 this kind of old testament overview takes us from solomon all the way to the beginning of isaiah bill uh, uh some some particular stories that some of us are familiar with the temple elijah the prophets of baal are in there certainly worth talking about uh, but there's a bit of an overall theme that we were talking earlier uh, about that bill that i think uh, maybe just camping at about 30,000 feet for a little bit would bless our gospel journey groups to show this big picture idea. You know, the kingdom's going to fall. There's a, there's a reality of what leads to that fall. Ultimately the people's heart being divided, not following the Lord. Uh, But then there's some, some applications for us here and now that really come directly from that. Uh, And so I guess to, to, to uh, turn it, turn it over to you, Billy G, what what do you see as kind of a main thread uh, weaving its way through uh, this idea? The kingdom's been established, the temple's going to be dedicated, and yet the kingdom ultimately, northern and southern, is not going to last. Yeah, I think uh, as as I was just looking through these uh, these chapters, Jamie, the 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 common thread that I picked up in this was, um, I guess it probably started with with Elijah as he confronted the prophets uh, uh, at Mount Carmel. And uh, a, lot of this, a lot of this has been driven home through, through uh, last year's uh, Israel trip that we went on, where we got to stand, go to Mark, Mount Carmel, see where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. And, and as I recall the story, one of the things in the story that stood out to me was just that uh, Elijah had a... Had a uh, challenge that he he issued to the Israelites uh, as he as he fought those prophets or or, or uh, had the, they had their 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 big, showdown. Uh, their big showdown on Mount Carmel and it's uh, in 1 Kings 18 at verse 21 Elijah came near to all the people and he said how long will you go limping between two different opinions if the Lord is God, follow him, but, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. And so that was kind of one of the threads I thought I was thinking through that it kind of got chased that rabbit for a little while, just thinking about uh, that showdown, that confrontation, that, I guess, that challenge that he offered the people, and it, it, it hit home with me. You know, as we look through... These texts, uh, as we study, as we head down these paths, I want everybody to keep in mind that there's there's supposed to be observation, there's supposed to be interpretation, there's supposed to be application. 
And that was probably the first thing that I observed as I looked at that very familiar story that I was reminded of again by the Lord uh, in my own life, you know, is is there something that I that Elijah is saying to me? Is he is he asking me the same question? How long am I going to limp between opinions in my life? Well, that's really good. It's a powerful picture too, limping between two opinions. The the implication there is certainly you can't walk with any sense of strength or uprightness when you're vacillating between what God says on one hand and you know, fill in the blank on the other one. What does culture say? What does my own heart desire? Uh, uh, yeah, it really is one or the other. And that, that theme's all the way. Yeah, that's through all of Scripture, isn't it? Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. You know, God basically comes to Cain, sends crouching at your doorstep, its desires for you, but then offers this turn, come to me. Don't vacillate between these two things. And there's a sense in which, like Jacob, walking with a limp is good because it shows somebody's somebody's really been through some hard stuff and still walking with God. That's not the limp that Elijah's talking about here. His is a limp of uncertainty, a lack of commitment, lack of trust in God. And we see that even though the first character in this path, or this week on path 10, Solomon, you know, 1 Kings 8 and 9, he dedicates the temple, all these hundreds of thousands literally of sacrifices Dedicating the temple, the queen of Sheba comes. She's just renowned, you know, uh, she's praising him for his renowned wisdom. And then two chapters later, in chapter 11, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. And we see Solomon himself limped between two things. He had a burning lust within him that he craved the things that God told him he should not enter into. And it was only a few chapters earlier that he dedicated the temple and brought the Ark of the Covenant home. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, but it's, again, I think our the temptation I have is to look at Solomon and think how stupid he was uh, to do something like that uh, or to to uh, be overly critical of of him in, in the way that he, it seems like he moved so quickly from from serving the Lord, building the temple, dedicating it to the Lord, to a place of, of abandonment, uh, where where there was this this limping between two opinions, you know, uh, I love that passage you referred to in Genesis where where Cain is is confronted by God and he says uh, he says why why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Uh, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? But if you don't do well, sin's crouching at the door. Mm-hmm. Its desire is for you, and you must master it. And so, the 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 tension that Cain felt, I think it's what Solomon probably felt in real time. It's easy for us to look back and see their mistake. The you know God said to Cain, you know, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? I think what he's saying is, if you follow my commandments, if you do, if you surrender, if there's real surrender on your part, which you know I think is the heart of worship too, Jamie. Surrender. There's that moment of surrender that we as Christians have all experienced, where we we fully surrendered to the Lord, um, believed in Him, put our faith and trust and confidence in Him, and I, I remember that point of surrender in my own life. I did it didn't I didn't know what exactly I was doing, but I knew He wanted it all, and it was I was willing to give whatever it took at that moment right. of surrender. And uh, but then there's the practice of surrender on a daily basis, which I'm not so good at. 
uh, probably a lot like Solomon, probably a lot like Cain in some ways, just in that, that daily challenge of waking up today and being surrendered. Uh, Jesus talks about it in, in Luke chapter 9 where he talks about if you're going to follow after, you know, to be my follower, to be a Christ follower, you have to deny yourself daily and uh, give up your life for me daily and then follow after me. Yeah, and what uh, uh, and back to what you referenced at the beginning with Elijah and this limping between two opinions, there's the daily struggle, which you mentioned, and then there's an ultimate allegiance there that he's communicating to, that uh, the implications are your daily struggles are going to be only enhanced or intensified if there's no decisiveness in where your ultimate allegiance lies. And that's he's really calling the sons of Israel there to, to what is your heart aligned or maybe another way, maybe this is fair to the text, to phrase it as what, it, what things or thing uh, are competing for your affections. You know, you have affections for Christ, but then there are these other, you know, whatever it's, this, you know, the sin, your sin, flesh, uh, the ways of the world, whatever it is, uh, that are also competing for your affections and your allegiance. And I think it's worthwhile in our gospel journey groups as we're walking through this to to ask that as a discussion point here in this in this week uh, eight to go hey and where in real time to use uh elijah's phrase are we limping between two opinions are we not uh as you mentioned earlier bill are we not fully surrendered uh, uh there at uh, paul you know when he writes to the ephesian church he prays as he, one of his prayers for the ephesian church is that christ would dwell richly in their hearts that idea of dwelling yeah, there were two greek words uh that could have been used there one meant to rent a room and one meant to own a property uh permanently it was a more permanent ownership one was basically a, a, a renting and one was owning and paul's word there is that christ would dwell and that christ would own you uh, unfortunately and i can certainly be victim to this we can treat jesus a little bit like a like a a a tenant he's just renting he's renting certain parts of us but doesn't have full ownership i think that's the implication of paul's prayer there Uh, and i think it's a maybe another way of rephrasing elijah's challenge here of this limping between two opinions yeah i i agree and there's a huge difference there and i think that that is, is my observation would be that 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 is the reason that there's so much confusion among Christians or so so little power uh, in 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 the faith that we display as modern day followers of Christ uh, because there's a uh, you know the word that keeps coming back that limping between the two opinions uh, but also kind of being double minded you know or two faced or having having a a profession of faith but denying a power that also accompanies that and the reason for that so often is because again we're not fully committed we're we're not fully devoted we're not uh, we're double-minded uh, like James says in James chapter 1 and I, I, you know you read about it a little bit more in the text uh, where in Isaiah chapter uh, 2 verse 22 he says stop regarding man and whose nostril is breath, for of what account is he? And, you know, it doesn't mean stop regarding man in that he that we're to carry the, 
the gospel message to, to men, but it means that, that uh, just like we see so often in, our, uh, in, in these chapters that we're reading, that men turn away from God and they, they, they create gods for themselves. And most of the time, all of the time, these are gods of their own making. These aren't gods. These are gods they make with their own hands. Uh, for instance, in, in 2 Kings chapter 17, uh, we're told that uh, in verse 20, 29, every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. Uh, going on down, uh, it says they, uh, in verse 32, they also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but they also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had carried away. So I look at that, I'm going, there's this tension, this, this double-minded limping between two opinions. Are we just, let's make sure that we, we, we serve the Lord. Of course we do that. But there are other gods also that we're, we're going to serve. Yeah, they just aren't maybe as obvious to us as those Old Testament idols that you just illuminated there from the text, but they're still there. And you mentioned not regarding man. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly man is a great uh, encourager in the faith, but it's a poor object of worship. Exactly. You know, we, we uh, when compared to God, we certainly, we, we fail to deliver of being a worthy object of faith. Uh, and again, limping can limp between God and the opinions of man. You know, there's a, there's an application that for us is, is who do we fear? Who do we fear more man or God? Do we revere people's opinion of us or what God actually calls us to do? Uh, there's a, there's a whole, uh, a litany of things we could unpack with that. But this, this, uh, double mindedness, I think you mentioned, uh, from the James passage, the, the, I don't know, irony's not the right word. Maybe the tragedy, maybe tragic, tragic is That's the right the word. Better word. Yeah. Is that, uh, this, you can keep functionally, at least externally, worshiping the Lord, but internally, that's not the uh, deep reality of your heart. And God, though man may not see that, God sees it and has some pretty strong words about that uh, in, in Isaiah. You already mentioned chapter two. I'll back us up uh, to chapter one. This is going to think about this. This is God talking to Judah. Okay, this is the southern southern kingdom, which is going to last a little bit longer, you know, roughly 130, 40 years longer than the northern kingdom. Uh, they actually had a few good kings, whereas the northern kingdom had, had no faithful kings. And this is what God says. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? You stop there and go, well, now, wait a second, God. You actually did require these sacrifices. You prescribed these sacrifices. You go back to the book of Leviticus. You gave Israel the recipe for worship, and they are following it. And yet, you say 
their following of your prescribed worship is actually a trampling of your courts. Let's keep going. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. That's a powerful verse right there. We assemble every Sunday here in worship. Uh, And what God is saying is, I cannot endure your external following of what I've laid out of ways to worship me when it is divorced from the reality of your heart. God's telling the, the people of Israel, you come doing exactly what I told you to do with zero love for me behind it. And that was the great divorce of their heart. That was a fracturing. Uh, that's a bit of the double-bindedness that, that you see uh, in the text. And it, it not only uh, is tragic for the people personally, because they've convinced themselves they're good. They're in. They are doing the right things. They're attending church, maybe even giving. They're taking communion. They might be in a discipleship community. They might even be in a gospel journey group, whatever it is. But it is all external. It is divorced from the reality of, and what God's driving Israel to, and I think driving us to as well as the church is, what is the reality of your heart? Do you love God or do you perform to try to get love from God? It's those are two different situations. Yeah, I, I was yeah. Th- I'm thinking as you're talking, Jamie, about the heart issue, and uh, our hearts are cluttered or diluted by uh, other affections, affections for these other things, and we don't even see those things. Oh, most of the time, Jamie. Well, that's why it's good to have other people in our life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is. And and it's good also to, to, to look at this Word and to God's Word. And when we look at it, it's like a mirror. We need to look at it and say, uh, I, I often, when I'm reading the Scriptures, try to, try to think this might be apl- applicable to me. That's good. I think about other people. Yeah, well, that's I do that too as well. <laughs> But sometimes I think this could be applying to me, or this might be talking to me, and and I, you know, for us it's important we examine our hearts uh, because the the implication is is uh, from these texts, from these chapters we're reading, we see the nation Israel that they're they're favored by God. They're uh, the, 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 He calls them children in some of the some of the verses we read in these chapters. They're His children, and and how the the his children have strayed they're they're seeking other gods uh, gods that aren't really gods their affection is toward other things and and they've drifted away slowly to the point that in that that chapter with where where Elijah confronts the the prophets of Baal and gathers the children of Israel around uh, they don't even know how to respond to right. the challenge of if God's God, let's worship Him. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, well, let's show us something. We we don't even know that you really have uh, that you really are uh, speaking for God, I guess. And and they have to be shown this great miracle where God just consumes the altar and blows it up, and immediately they respond, "God's God." Yeah, <laughs> so that's right. We, we believe. We believe. Well, they believe at least for the next little bit. Yeah, right? for the next little bit, kind of like us, you know. Right, God, right. God shows up and does something. We put our trust and confidence in Him. You know, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, Jamie, was from Second uh, Kings. The implications of 
you know, as parents, as parents, we, uh, you know, our children, you know, what we're, what we're doing impacts our children. Our mm-hmm. faith impacts our children. And, and, and this is a part of the podcast where I'm about to get depressed and feel shame and guilt. <laughs> we're going to end, end with the gospel. We're all going to oh, walk out of here happy. That's good. Because uh, we need it, but it says uh, so. These nations fear the Lord in 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 Second Kings chapter seventeen. So these nations fear the Lord, and also serve their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they did to this day. Wow, that's a sad indictment. It really is. Yeah, and it and there's some. Obviously, we both know God can redeem any situation and change yeah. course. Thankfully, but, yeah, but but. Just practically and humanly considered, it is true that we can put our family on a trajectory of worship. And I think that's what that passage is saying there. You know, if our kids don't see us worshiping in the home, there's no reason to think, certainly not naturally, they're not going to tend towards that themselves. And so that is a powerful point there. Uh, And back to, you just mentioned the Elijah story again, I will say this a little bit, it's a small tangent, but just to keep in mind before we finish up here this morning, Bill, is that Elijah does all this, right? You know, fire comes down. I mean, it's a crazy scene. There's so much water on the altar. I mean, it's almost like a mini pond with some wood floating in it. Absolutely. It's consumed by fire, undeniably the Lord. Nobody really follows him even after that. He leaves, and he's so depressed, dejected, he starts making some statements about basically self-pity, and and he almost aggrandizes his own faithfulness a little bit. I'm the only faithful one. I'm all you got left, God. This is, and and if we're not careful, we can tend to think that we might be the only one really trying to do this thing. We might be the only one really trying to live faithfully. God takes Elijah out in the wilderness, and he and uh, you know. The wind comes, goes out of the wind, smoke comes out of the fire, comes out of the fire. But it's a small whisper. It's, it's almost like God speaks to Elijah in a way that Elijah doesn't expect him to and reminds him, hey, I've got 7,000 other people that I've, you're not alone. You're not, and when we believe we're alone, we have a tendency to get a little self-righteous or really dejected. One of those two extremes. And I think the story there, God generally reminding us there are other people trying to walk faithfully too. Yeah, amen. Kind of also reminding us that he that uh, he's got a plan, and it's it's not about our plan; it's his plan, and he's going to show up when he shows up. How he wants to show up, yes, and when he wants to show That's up. Exactly right. And we just have to trust and be faithful on a on a daily basis. So I remind that I was in I mean, this was I don't know this is probably thirteen fourteen years ago now in Dallas. I was on finishing my degree at Dallas Seminaries and campus having lunch and i had lunch with one of my favorite professors there uh uh jim allman he actually lived in memphis for a while some people may remember the name uh and uh one of the most humble men i've ever met and somebody was eating lunch with us i forgot who uh some of the people you meet in seminary are fairly forgettable bill <laughs> uh and uh they ask him a really good question something about you know any advice on how to walk with jesus you know he was probably 40 years older than we were at that that point i guess he still would be now but uh and he just looked at he almost a little teary just looked up and he said the best i can figure this is a brilliant man you know he studied the bible in greek and hebrew brilliant man he said the best i can figure every day when i wake up 
I think all God wants for me to do is walk by faith. And that's not blindly. That's not uninformed. Faith is a tangible expression of trust. And his point is that the, at, when you boil it down, if you really are a Christian, he was saying, all God wants is that every day we wake up to live a life that says, I trust you. I trust you. Whatever comes my way, whatever the timing, whatever the circumstance, I trust you. And that really gets to the heart of this thread that we've been talking about this morning. Yeah, putting your trust in him. I think Elijah had, when he, he made the statement over and over again, he said, uh, I alone, I only, you know, and, and his maybe he was thinking about the work he had done and had forgotten that it was God doing the work in him mm-hmm. and that his trust needed to be put not back in himself or taken off of himself and put back into the Lord. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a good place for us to kind of head toward is 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 the gospel that reminds us. And, so, and uh, when when Solomon built the temple uh, back before he was distracted by his many wives, foreign wives, and their gods, uh, he in in First Kings chapter eight over and over again it talks about uh, if anyone sins, if anyone sins, and uh, I guess assuming that we are going to sin. Yeah. Good assumption. Yeah, I I can doesn't take me too long to remember a few of my past sins from just a few minutes ago, actually. <laughs> but that's during this podcast. It's during the podcast. I was thinking something, but the uh, the uh, the thing that he reminds us of is is that if we do sin, we have a savior. We can go to the Lord. We can repent. We can confess that sin, and he he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I I do want to remind people that. You know, while we read these stories about an unfaithful Israel, we also see how God is loving and desiring to be in relationship with his people. And, and all they have to do is is just return and, and repent of their, their sins and put their trust back in him uh, on a daily basis uh, mm-hmm. to do this. And, Absolutely. and he's willing to forgive and wash the sins away. Well, in line with that, you know, I read that passage from Isaiah 1 earlier, and he basically says, your worship is appalling to me. I won't receive your sacrifices. I I hide my eyes when you have your feast. In the same exact passage, he says a few verses later, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You almost get the feeling of of a dad there with his, with his kids. They've been out. They've totally screwed it up. And instead of just... Uh, condemning them, ultimately that moment, the dad's kind of saying, look, come here, guys. Come here. Listen. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. It's like even after everything that you've done, that I've done, that the people of Israel have done, that people in our church have done, that God's sitting there saying, hey, just come here. Come here. Let's circle the wagons again. I will. I cleanse all this. I can cleanse it. I have cleansed it. I will cleanse it. Just come back to me, uh, and we'll be in right relationship. It's, it's it's a hard step to take sometimes because we feel so unworthy of it or too self-righteous or whatever it is. Uh, but it's an easy step in the sense of nothing is demanded of us except to kneel before the Lord and say, cleanse me. Amen, Jamie. Hey, I wanted to give one resource yeah, that uh, might be helpful for some of this. Just the, the application part of this. Uh, uh, Paul David Tripp wrote an article about 
uh, the church, and uh, he asked the question, are we functional atheists in the way that we live? Mm. And it kind of has, uh, it fits in with what we're talking about this morning here as we look at the children of Israel and think about them as they uh, limp between two opinions and, and as we respond to questions even Jesus asked where he talks about serving two masters or yeah. James's, uh, James's letter where he talks about uh, being double-minded. So mm-hmm. that, that would be helpful, I think. Well, thanks for sharing that, and thanks for being here this week. Appreciate it, Jamie.